what if different people were asking the questions after the game? Not to pick on Matt Weiner, but like the question, you know, Nick, Nick, I think kind of went into it more like annoyed or he, he was his witty, his witty answer to basically it was asked a question no, he at wasn't. a moment. It wasn't a question. He was asked, a, he was asked a comment and Nick was like, where's, what's the question? Yeah. Well, cause there is a thing in, in journalism and I can even tell you from my last job, like they went over that with us. They were like, please ask questions. Don't make right. statements especially when you're doing it on camera. Like they just came off, off a game where they're like going nuts, like challenging them to just start speaking unprompted without any question. I think you, it, it doesn't always, especially on a show like this, you're talking for 20 minutes. It doesn't always have to be like such a direct, like what were you thinking when, whatever. But I do think, cause I've done that a lot and we'll bring in Ken in a second here. He does this way more than I do now. Um, when you're fresh off the game, like tee them up so that they can actually respond to you. That one, I, I was on Nick's side on that one. Hey, Scott, Ken, just to be fair to Ken, he's had a few days off now, so he doesn't ask questions the same anymore. You've been working more than him. So take it easy yeah. on Ken. Okay, let's to... bring him in. You tell him. It's not going to be FTC and your insider, Ken Rose. He looks pretty fresh to me, AJ. He looks like he's about to – He's overrested, though. He's overrested. sideline report. He's, he's overrested. Blowing. He might not be he's able to blowing. report. <laughs> Ken, what's up? Um, uh, where, where do we start? Let, let's start with the media side of things because there's been a lot of conversation and we need to get someone like you to comment on what you think is appropriate for how you report on what you hear and also just how the clubhouse situation actually works because it's not talked about very frequently. No, it's not. And that's what I really want to talk about because I think Stephanie covered the actual reason why we're in there, at least the legal reason it's in the collective bargaining agreement the players and the owners agree to it we have a specified time that we're in there it is not a sacred sanctuary during that time it is media availability the players have a hundred places they can hide and they generally do hide in them so that aspect of this whole ridiculous controversy and that's what i called it on twitter last night it's what i'm calling it again a ridiculous controversy jake mintz did what most reporters would have done, reported what was said in front of them. That's actually our job, to report. In that setting, it is a public setting. Now, the real thing I wanted to get to was why we're in there at all, because I see blowback from fans once in a while questioning why you're in there bothering the players. There is a reason, and it has to do with the fans, that we're in there. We are getting information, we are asking questions, we are gaining insight, into what happened in the game or even before a game and talking about maybe last night's game or something else that is communicated to the fans. And actually, I've always believed that the clubhouse situation, the allotted time that we get each day, and it's been reduced over the years, believe me, but the allotted time we get each day is a time for learning. I learn every time I walk into a clubhouse something new. It might be kind of germane, it might be not that big a deal, or it might be something pretty revealing. And the best thing about the access, and this is from the player's perspective, and I'm interested to hear AJ and Eric on this as well, it's a checks and balances system. So if I'm on the beat, and this happened all the time when I was on the beat many years ago, but if I'm on the beat and I write something critical of a player, guess what? I'm in there the next day showing my face. And that player has access to me just as I have access to him and invariably, if there's an issue, it gets hashed out. And it gives you, as a reporter, something of a, 
a balance. As I said, it kind of restrains you at times because you know you've got to go in there the next day. I think it leads to greater fairness. Now, in Great Britain, and this is one country, I don't know every country's media standards, but in Great Britain, there's no clubhouse access or anything like that for Premier League matches or soccer matches. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't work the same way. And what do the writers do? Sit up in the press box and write whatever the heck they want without any knowledge of what's going on. So when people say, what are you doing in the clubhouse? Well, we're trying to figure out and we're trying to ask questions about things that might be pertinent to readers and viewers and fans. And that is the reason we're in there. And again, it serves players too. Believe me, it does. Ken, as someone that used to want to beat you up all the time, thank you for yeah. showing your face. <laughs> now, that was my biggest thing as a player. I was taught at a young age, say something after a game, good or bad. If they're there and they want to, because at least if you say something, you can write, you can help them write a narrative that you can control a little bit. That's and right. I agree. The biggest problem I had as a player was when I was in Chicago. We had Jay Mariotti, right? And Ozzy got in trouble for calling him names. Well, Jay Mariotti, would, we used to call him like sniper shots. He'd take all these shots at guys, but never show his face in the clubhouse. If you, if me being, being doing what we do and you doing what you do, if I'm there the next day and a player has a problem with something I said, we can talk about it. I'll be there. If I, if I doing a playoff series and I said something bad the next day, guess what? I'll be there again. You, you, we can talk about it. Right. And, and that's the biggest thing for me as a former player, just show your face and we'll talk about it. Now, listen, was there a reporter or two I yelled at probably shouldn't have? Absolutely. But at the time, you're frustrated. You see him and you're like, look at this son of a bitch that wrote this, you know, probably not the appropriate way to do it. But it always got hashed out because they were there. The ones you have the problems with are the ones that aren't there. So you have to appreciate it and you have to understand that, look, you guys have a job to do. I have a job to do as a player. I'm not always going to be good. And the reporter's job is to show that. But as long as I'm there and I'm available, at least I get to tell my side of it. And also, AJ, the one thing I would point out as well is that this is one big ecosystem, right? We write, players are in the media, players get paid because they're prominent, because the sport is popular, which has to do with the media. It all kind of goes hand in hand. Now, that doesn't mean it's perfect. And it doesn't mean that those of us in the media are perfect and at times may step out of bounds for one reason or another. And people might wonder, well, as a national reporter, you aren't always available to people, which is true. I can't be in every clubhouse every day. But in this day and age, people generally know where to find you, and it's not a big deal. If someone has a beef, they can find me, and I can see them the next time I'm around that particular team. But I can't emphasize this enough. It kind of works to everyone's benefit. And what Orlando Arcia did the other night was not that big a deal. He didn't slur anybody. He kind of talked a little trash. I was surprised that he was surprised that the Braves were surprised that somebody with microphones everywhere might have picked up on this. I, I just thought it was kind of weak on their part to react the way that they did. Do you think you were talking about the reduced amount of time that you're in there? It's slowly getting less and less and less. I know COVID, it was like they were trying to like get nobody back in after COVID, after the locker rooms opened up. I don't think that's a good idea, but talking to Tim Brown, the writer of my book, he said back when he first started, they would shag BP. Writers would shag BP during, during you know, different lulls in the season. So do you feel like that, like, short amount of time has made a strain, has made it a strained relationship because you don't have that opportunity 
to really confront everybody and you can just avoid people and not do anything about it. Well, I never shagged BP, so I can't <laughs> speak to that necessarily. Nobody would have wanted to be shagging BP. Couldn't but, see over the grass? Whatever, AJ. It was a lot different <laughs> back then, Eric. There were many fewer reporters back then, and there was no social media. It, it was a different world entirely. When I first started, I worked for an evening newspaper, which these things don't even exist anymore. And I would occasionally ride on the team plane going home and sit away from the players, but... I could do that and no one had a problem with it and the newspaper would pay my way and it was all taken care of, but that would never happen today. So the reduced amount of time, that's kind of a reflection of the world we live in. You do have to control it a little bit. There are so many more reporters and people in the clubhouse than in past years. My biggest beef often is not with the reduced time because it is what it is, but with a circumstance where you might walk into a clubhouse during the availability, which is generally maybe an hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, 45 minutes to an hour, and there's nobody around. They're in their places where they are having a sanctuary. And if they're not going to be available, then you really can't get them except maybe coming off the field for BP. So that's something else entirely. I don't know that the average fan cares or needs to hear about it, but the access is what it is. I wish it was greater. When I first started, I would walk into the clubhouse 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon, walk into the manager's office. It was just a much different set of circumstances. Ken, how many times, and again, I had just explained this when we had Stephanie on it. With Fox, we get like 15 minutes. It's just us, basically. Right, before playoffs. In only in the playoffs. So it's just we yes. get 15 minutes in the clubhouse. Now, during the regular season, it's like a 45, 30 to 45-minute window where the general media is just in there. And they're just kind of hanging around, you know, watching, seeing, whatever, okay? Players waiting know. To like, hear know. We, waiting to hear, waiting to talk to players is what we're doing. That's what we're exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but what I'm saying is players know this, okay? As a player, you know that media is there from 3.30 to 4.15, okay? Players dodge it, like you said. Should they make it, and I know this is going to be almost impossible, but make it a five-minute, everybody has to be in there for five minutes just to answer one question, right? Because how many times I've done it, and I know you do it, when, when we're there doing national games, I, there's times where I'm looking for somebody to ask them a specific question, and I have to go hunt them down on BP, and it feels – it's so awkward. Even as a former player, for me, it will be like, oh, I, uh, where's where's Alex Bregman? And, you know, like no, not that Bregman's – Bregman's awesome. Bregman talked to us all the right. time, right? But you know what? I'm, I'm just using him yeah. because he popped in my head. Like, oh, where's – oh, he's in the training room. Oh, I need to ask him a question. And the media – and the PR guy says – well, he's, he might not be available. Today. And then you're like, uh-oh. All right, well, then I got to trudge outside, try to find him during BP, interrupt his batting practice. Right Again, Bregman's great. So I'm, I don't want people to think this about Alex. Just the first name popped in my head. But should there be like a five-minute window where you're available? Everyone has to be in their locker for five minutes every day because the people that say, oh, I'm not comfortable doing this, maybe they get more comfortable. And then plus, you don't have to hunt guys down. I don't know. It may be just something to think about going forward. Yeah, I don't know how that would be resolved. The union would have to be on board with that, and they generally defer to players, understandably, on issues like this. If you said five minutes for each guy, that's fine, as long as it's not the same five minutes for everybody, right? That it would be a problem, because if I want to talk to multiple guys, can't do it. So I don't know if there needs to be a solution here, or a change even. I'm good with where we are. I wish more players were at their lockers. That's fine, whatever. They're not, they're not. But 
at the same time, I just want people out there to understand why we're in there. That's the objective I had coming on today. We're not in there because we like hanging around the players, because we want to bother the players. We're there to do a job, and it's a job that serves the audience. Ultimately, in many ways, it serves the players too because you give insight into who they are. I'll give you an example, actually, just from this season. So I'm interviewing Spencer Strider before a Fox game, the day before a Fox game. You don't interview a pitcher on the day he pitches. And he's telling me about his start, his previous start in Pittsburgh and how he kind of lost focus. And from that conversation, which was very interesting, grew an entire article, a lengthy article I did later on Strider and how he's conquered the mental side of it or tried to conquer it. He's a work in progress like all of us are. And that is just one example. And I will repeat it. When I go into a clubhouse, when I just mill around talking to players, even just catching up on family, whatever it might be, I am almost always learning something. And I'm not just speaking for myself. This is true for every person who walks in there, man, female, whatever. So that's why we're in there. We're in there to enlighten ourselves to, so we can enlighten the audience. It's pretty darn simple. Okay. So um, you guys good? Kratz, AJ? Because I do. Yeah. Okay. I think that was important. Um, just making sure. No, that was great. Yeah. I, I think before, you know, obviously. Well, I want to change the subject, but, but sometimes no, no, but I do what that. I'm say is, and then AJ goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, today, no, no, no. I, just, I think because place. you said, are we good? Because, no, I think it's important for people outside. Because as former players and Ken and Scott, you get it. You, nobody really understands what the media time is. That's right. And how it works. People just think that the reporters are like in there hanging out having dinner with us. Right? That's I mean, right. It, it, and I think that's the what more we talk me. about, the yes. more we talk about it, the more it becomes like, oh, I understand. And also it becomes more of a like, okay, the break, listen, the Arcia thing was the team was excited. They just won a huge game. And he was just like, yeah, right? Shit happens. Hey, Move on. Uh, yeah. And now go, Scott. And well, and also I, I commented on this plenty. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're utilizing Ken's time accurately here. The one thing I, I will say is yes, playing to what you guys both just said. This is not a fan club where it's like, oh, we won the fan club experience and we get to hang out with the players. I will say even last year, I'm in a clubhouse during one of the celebrations. Player comes up to me who I've known for years and I'm not going to say his name and says, um, next round, if we win, you got to it was something alcohol related, like you got to have a drink or whatever in the clubhouse. And I was like, oh, OK, because he was drunk, too. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, he's drinking, right? Like I, I'm assuming, but I'm just like, OK, sure, whatever. And then my producer was like, are you really going to do that? I was like, fuck no, I'm not doing that. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? I'm not having a drink at the clubhouse. I was like, obviously, I just said like, okay, sure. Like, let him go. I'm like, I wouldn't do Ken that. Had a, Ken had a drink once with me. Who Ken did? had a drink once with me. Ken. Uh, why don't you tell the story, AJ, what you did to me? Go ahead. Go I ahead. Mean, I just dump, I dumped like, I don't know, a couple bottles of champagne on his head. So oh. some of it trickled down <laughs> well, in his mouth. Because he was sitting there, he was all dry, he was all in his bow tie, all high and mighty. No. And I'm like, oh, you ain't getting out of here without getting wet. Scott, here's the deal, though. I couldn't escape because I was hooked up to wires and I was just like in this Pacific area. So I was a sitting duck. And of course, AJ took full advantage of the experience. And that's fair game. I will say there's your, there's your difference maker. I've been destroyed quite a few times. I've probably been in for maybe 20 of those in my career. And at least half the time it ends up where players are just coming up to you and what, what are you supposed to do? Stop it. Stop it. Like that, that you can't do anything about. And also you got to just live, but there's a, 
for me, there was a difference between that and like telling the player, like, yeah, cheers. Like, this is not my celebration. Also, I'm out in here for a job. I'm doing interviews. So, yes, Correct. I can have fun with it and be like, you're interviewing them as someone's dumping stuff on you. You can't control that. But still, the point is we're in there for a job. We're doing interviews. You're collecting info if you're a writer, right? Like, this, these are professionals in there. So, you know, it's rare, right, Ken? I mean, sure, there's maybe been situations but it's rare that someone's in the clubhouse where you're like, they're being so unprofessional, you know? It's just like in the in the press box. People are not in the press box, the press, the media, watching the game going, let's go. I've seen it, but it is very much frowned upon and and that's not what most people are doing. And that's, that's not the etiquette. That's extremely rare when that happens, extremely. Yes, exactly. Okay, so now I would like to get to, there's a couple other things. First off, before we get away from the NLDS itself, AJ is very, very strong on the layover, the long rest, whatever you want to call it, being a complete nothing burger. He experienced it himself and thinks it's absolute BS. You on Fair Territory at least spoke about the playoff format. So what do you think about the layover and the way the playoff format works? My only thing was, it's just a small complaint I keep bringing up. I'm like, I want to see Friday baseball. I'm like, you want to give like a little more of an edge, have a team if they win a game three, have to travel. And also I just think that the sport missed out on not having Friday games because that's a time for them to strike. But what do you think now seeing how all this played out and which teams have made it through? I still believe it's too small a sample really to pass judgment. And when I wrote about this almost right away after the playoffs started, because I sensed it would become an issue I mentioned that it was a small sample, but I also mentioned the possibility that some teams would be affected by the layoff and all of these different things that come into play. I'm not willing to adjust yet. The only thing I want to do is reseed after the wild card round. I think it's ridiculous that that doesn't happen. I know they don't want the number one seed playing a division winner, but if the division winner doesn't have as good a record as the wild card team, it should happen that way where the number one seed does play the division winner reseed it. That's, to me, obvious. The layoff, I don't think we can dismiss it as nothing. But at the same time, is it the reason the Orioles lost? No, it's not the reason the Orioles lost. Is it the reason the Dodgers lost? No. I can cite reasons for each one of these teams, and the Braves being another, on why they lost that really are not layoff related. That said, there's a situation that occurs each time with this where teams are off, the, the buy teams, for longer than they are off at any point during the regular season. Now, they tried to compensate during the downtime by having simulated games, some in front of fans. It worked maybe to some extent, maybe it didn't. So going forward, I'm not sure what the answer is, but no one in baseball likes to hear excuses. And Spencer Strider had some great comments last night just about, hey, we're responsible for our performance. That's the way it is. Layoff, no, 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 no. But over time... I would like to see how this plays out. Now, the Astros obviously are an exception, and they have seemingly figured this out two years in a row now. They were the number one seed last year, went all the way through, won the World Series. Number one seed this year, not much problem in the division series. They did really well against the Twins. So it's not every team, and I think in each particular case that we're talking about, the Braves, the Orioles, the Dodgers, you can cite specific things that happened to those teams that – made it a situation where the timing for them wasn't as good as it might have been for the Phillies, for example. The Phillies seem to have a way of getting hot at this time of year, and they're doing it again. Oh, for me, first? I didn't think my question was going to go first. It is. Okay. 
So I heard from a birdie that you get a uh, bus ride in your next round. Is this a true story or a false story? Not confirmed. Not confirmed. <laughs> no way. No you need way multiple can... sources. There okay, needs... but, but, Ken doesn't but report Ken without multiple sources. Ken is, Ken is not taking a bus. But with with or without this, uh, Ken, whoa, hang on whoa, one sec. Hang whoa, on. Hold I'm not... on. Now you see, Eric, hold on. It's fighting words mm. already. Mm-mm. We were asked, members of our crew, because it's a situation where Houston is playing a team from Dallas-Fort Worth, three-and-a-half-hour bus ride, if we would like to take a bus. I raise my hand. I would like to take a bus. I think it would be a good thing to do. Keep us off a flight for one time. That would be great. So I don't even know why this is an issue, except I know that AJ is stoking this fire. <laughs> he is. He is. No, because you're going to charter your own plane because bus is way beneath Mr. Ken Rosenthal. <laughs> See, now this is I just not, said I volunteered for the bus. Ken's, yeah, you, you know what you volunteered for? You're like, I volunteer to pay for the plane. That's what I'm volunteering for. Poor Kratz. Actually, I know where you're okay, going. Okay, go with ahead, this, Kratz. Sorry. Asked, I think I know because where you're going with this. I, I, my entire career, people will announce me as 11-year big leaguer, but I want to be announced as a 13-year minor leaguer, okay? Because some of the most fun I had in the big leagues and the minor leagues is bus rides. So of your crew, who's going to get on the mic to call people out on the three-and-a-half-hour bus ride from Houston to Arlington? Well, why would people need to be called out? Because that's what you do on bus trips. Well, also, oh, I see. I'll give context too. So Ken, Ken doesn't know. He only takes private planes. He doesn't get no, it. No, 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 no. I'm saying show context. So probably what? Maybe about, you know, and we've had over 200 player guest appearances on this show. I would say at least like 20 times. Kratz has had a player on where he's been like, give us more on this team. Who's talking on the bus rides? Who's grabbing the mic? That's a big thing, especially for rookies, right? Who's on the mic? So of everybody that travels in that Fox crew, and we're not including including AJ because he's not on the CS. Who's grabbing the mic and and what? Kratz being like a wise ass or or just as funny? Yeah, like just you give you give a funny like you call different people out. You give you call you call well you can't call Ken because he's not a rookie, but you call Ken. <laughs> you call you call Joe Davis up to the front of the bus, and he's like, "Hey, Rook, I know you only got three years on the beat here, but uh, really like how you're." Well, all right, you know, Eric. So I'll give so. you an honest answer because I'm not necessarily experienced in this regard because as AJ has said, I fly private all the time, usually <laughs> just me alone. That's how we do it. But I would imagine if we do take this bus, and apparently it is in the works, that there might be some of that, but I don't know for a fact. I really don't know. It's, I haven't even given it any consideration. I will say no, this. I will say this, Eric. I didn't cover the minor leagues, but I was in the minor leagues. Okay. I was in a smaller town to start my career. And those memories are indelible. They're memories I have and will never lose. And that camaraderie you have at that level, whether it's the minor leagues in sports writing or the minor leagues in baseball or anything else, it's unique. And I always feel grateful for that time because it makes me appreciate the private planes I take today. Facts. Facts. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Now, okay. Now, here's the real question. Is David and Jeter and another guy going to take the bus? Oh, I don't know. We were just asked, as far as I know, AJ, we were just asked the game crew. Um, John, Joe, myself, oh, the producers, okay. the directors. I don't know if those guys are Because I was going to say, if the pregame crew, you could get – you could get Bardia, who is like the pregame producer, to have like David mm-hmm. on the mic. 
I could see David guys, being right? on the mic for sure. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, this is the good that. stuff, though, by the way. I, I, I kid you not, many Fox execs like love this show. So they're like, guys, we made it. We're talking Fox execs grabbing the mic on the, on the bus. <laughs> well, also, over. Scott, just to prove that I won't be flying private from Dallas to Houston, I will take a photograph of myself on the bus. We will have it on the show. And we will throw it in AJ's face. Yeah. No, I will have you. people take a picture of you like this and the bus in your bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen too. I can see that definitely happening. I could be I could be hired. I could be hired just as the mic guy for your three and a half hour bus ride. I will call some dudes out. It would be super easy. Hey, welcome to the front of the bus here. Yeah, we got WHAQ coming straight out of Baltimore. <laughs> Thanks, Ken, for joining. <laughs> Do your feet hit the floor? That's a fair question. Let's face it. I'm not saying that's not a fair question. My feet have to extend, and uh, sometimes they don't extend fully. (laughs) Kratz dominated this for a long time. So, Kratz, you should think about that. People can hire you for that. All right. Let me me get back on the rails for one more sec here because there's one more topic I wanted to hit before Ken jumps. Um, You wrote an article about the Dodgers and Shohei Otani. Boom. Ugh, we are so in sync. Uh, Jeremy behind the scenes Dodgers need to sign Otani and do more to change the narrative okay so take us through what you wrote and what you think is going to go down now coming up the next few months because I can tell you this we have Dodger fans that watch this show religiously that have been asking us to do more Otani content and coverage even before their playoff series started because I feel like they weren't confident in their team and this is the biggest free agent process Maybe in MLB history, definitely in LA, since the Dodgers and their fans, I think, are, are in their minds such front runners. That I think it's going to be devastation if they don't get him. All right, here's the genesis of the article. So I have a friend, I'm not going to name him, this person, who is a Dodger fan. I wouldn't say an intense Dodger fan, but he made a point to me the other day that really stuck with me. And he said, why should I be paying attention to the regular season anymore? It's the same every year. We dominate the regular season. We falter in the playoffs. And I love the team, but this is just getting old. And I thought about it, and I was wondering to myself, okay, how many Dodger fans probably feel this way, and how do you address that? The Dodgers are an entertainment business like any baseball team, and I don't know that they would run the same team back, but I don't believe they can run anything close to the same team back. They have to keep their fans engaged. They have to change this narrative, and really what they have to do is win the World Series. So this talk all stops, of course. Shohei Otani works in every way for those different points I just discussed. He gives the team, as I wrote, sizzle as well as steak. He is a great player. Granted, he cannot pitch next year, and they need pitching. We know that. They can go sign pitchers, too. And beyond that, he gives the franchise a new entertainment perspective. He's a marketing bonanza in himself. So for all those reasons, it just makes more sense to me now. Maybe there's even more urgency for them to sign him now because I don't want to say they're stale. I I do not want to diminish anything that they've accomplished. It's amazing what they've done. All these 100-win seasons, all these playoff runs, people do not give enough respect to the accomplishment of winning a regular season. That is really what teams are built to do. The postseason, we know there's randomness, there's luck. It's just a different set of circumstances. So I don't want to be disrespectful to the Dodgers in any way, and I don't believe I was in what I wrote, but I do think they need a little bit of a jolt here. 
Otani would be a jolt in every way and in a positive sense as well. This is probably the first time that I've disagreed with you. I think they could use that money to go and get two pitchers. I'm not saying it's the best pitchers. They clearly did not have enough starting pitching. I know everyone's going to say, well, they didn't score any runs either, blah, blah, blah. They were piecing together their starting pitching throughout the entire year. And Otani does not touch that even one iota. He may never pitch again. Eric, I don't disagree with you one bit. And what I wrote was they've got to sign pitchers too. Snell's out there. Andrew Friedman was the president of baseball operations in Tampa Bay when they drafted Snell. Aaron Nola, it's not a great thick class of free agent starting pitchers, but there are pitchers there. You sign them as well as Otani. Remember, they didn't do a heck of a lot last offseason. They didn't do all that much at the deadline either, though Eduardo Rodriguez kind of left them in a lurch. So <laughs> they should be financially capable of doing pretty much anything they want. So we're not in disagreement. They definitely need pitching. That's their number one priority, starting pitching, because they cannot simply rely on all of these young guys to mature at once. But Otani gives them quite a bit as well. And I don't know that I would say he might never pitch again, though certainly there's a non-zero chance of that. Tommy John surgery has advanced over the years. The internal brace procedure has helped things along. I don't know that it's going to be a situation where we don't see him pitch again. Now, we cannot count on it the same way. That's fair. But you're getting him as a hitter. Granted, a hitter that's going to replace J.D. Martinez, who did a great job for them for 2024, and then maybe you're getting them, getting him for much more beyond hitting in 25 and going forward. Blake Snell seems like the perfect guy for the Dodgers. He would be one. I, I would agree. Because, I know no, think about guy. it. The Do- I mean, he's a, listen, he's a great pitcher, but he's five and dive, and we all know yes. the Dodgers don't like their pitchers to go any farther than like five. In- I mean, their pitchers pitched under five innings in three games. They're starters. Under five, I mean, think about the, well, that was well, plan, AJ. That was underperformance. <laughs> okay, but okay, but still, I'll say this, and I don't know how much you got to listen to Wayno and I talk on our, our our series, but the team that has the best starting pitching in most series, almost every series wins, and I, I I'll, I'll 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 go down saying that you have to have starting pitching. Look at the series we did, Verlander. Uh, Framber wasn't good, but Pablo was. They won that game, game three, right? It, it was it was like, okay, who has the better starting? Javier was great, game three. Or Katie was great, game four against the Twins. Their starters went longer, pitched better. They won the series. It, it just it, You just have to find the starting pitching in order to give you enough innings to save some of your bullpen. And I think and they might have- that has been, that has been the Dodgers' miss, though. Bobby Miller next year, Ryan Pepio next year, Gavin Stone, all of these pitchers that they have, Emmett Sheehan, some of them are going to progress better than others. Some of them will be keepers. Some probably will not be. But they have a good foundation. They need to build on that foundation. And I'll add one thing, AJ, to what you said about the team with the best starting pitching. This might seem obvious, but the team that hits more homers, they win postseason series too. And you can look at almost every circumstance, every example and it will show that. We'll play that out. And also teams the that Diamondbacks, don't strike out. And striking right. out is a big thing, too. If you don't strike out, you also usually win. The Diamondbacks, everyone perceives them, including myself, as this jackrabbit team. All they do is run around, cause chaos. That's their motto, right? They hit a ton of home runs in that series against the Dodgers. <laughs> That's why they won the series. 
Yeah, which is not what you saw from them in the regular season. And even Mike Hazen Correct. brought it up multiple times. Like they're hot right now. Their dudes are their dudes are feeling it, and they're hitting more homers like on a per at bat basis in the playoffs. So, and and just just to clarify, so we need home runs, we need starting pitching, defense. <laughs> you have to be good at baseball. Sounds like a winning right? formula to me. Yes, yes. All right. Lastly, because we're gonna again, we're gonna show this after you're off um, as our last segment. Um, we do. That's what he said with some comments from players and kind of run it right. So um, we're going to show Castellanos. He was dropping some f bombs on on MLB um, channel. But also, uh, there was like a little back and forth with fans on social media. And you do this all the time. I think I referred to this at the top of the interview. It felt like a million years ago already. But uh, Matt Weiner did the post game and he brought up a statement. And Castellanos is like, "What's your question?" Because that's a thing. And I've I've gone through like media training sessions. At MLB, where they've talked about that, they're like, don't do that. And also, though, I just think it's important, and you can help me with this, to provide context of how Nick Castellanos is. He can be a little bit of like a ball buster and almost sometimes treat things like WWE, which, again, fun, good for the game. I like it. So I don't know if those two knew each other, so maybe it created an awkward moment. But um, in my mind, my opinion was ask a question. They're coming, especially in that moment, they're coming off the field. There's a lot going on. And two, even, even if you do mess up and just make a random statement, then just have fun with it and be like, oh, true. Well, how did that go? You know, something like that. Well, all right. A couple things here. First of all, Nick is different than most players. There's no question about that. <laughs> and I've had interviews with Nick where I have asked questions and I've gotten similar answers. So he's capable of doing anything. And I never know when I interview him what I'm going to get, which is kind of good, actually, keep you honest. But yes, I, I do believe you should ask a question. Now, a lot of times fans will say, well, that's a stupid question. The question to me is irrelevant. The answer is what matters. And if the stupid question gets a good answer, it's a win, in my view. Because what we're trying to do is serve the audience and get the players talking. And that's the goal here. And I know it looked kind of uncomfortable last night for Matt, who I don't know at all. But at the same time, when I interview Nick, sometimes that happens. It doesn't really matter if you know him or you don't know him. It's just he has a different outlook on things. And it's refreshing. It would be boring if all players were the same. But with Nick, I always feel like I have to be on my toes. Yeah, I love that. I'm with you. And his teammates will say the same thing even when they're around him. They're like, oh, we'll get different <laughs> versions of Nick. And I like it. So um, same thing. I'm just trying to also say with all this, like good, clean, fun. Like all of this that's gone on with with – what players are saying, like nothing's been like personal attacks. This is good for us. No, team. no. Let's have fun with it. And what's really jarring when you're doing that kind of interview with Nick and he comes back with maybe a one word or one sentence or two sentence answer, you better be ready with the next question or statement or whatever the case might be because the interview goes on and it's just different with him. That's all. That's all. Yeah. That's the way I could put it. He's like, I did my job. What do you got for me? What's next? Like, you do yours. So. Uh, Ken, good stuff. Um, enjoy the bus trip. I'm sure we'll uh, look forward to the pictures and, uh, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll be having caviar, lobster, <laughs> filet mignon on the bus. I'll send you pictures, AJ. We're good. You mean on your, you mean on your private jet? Get it right, Ken. <laughs> Both, whatever. Sure, exactly. That's what they call a bus these days. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. See you.